When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thursday edition of College Sports Now. We've got a loaded show today. Matt Norlander from CBS Sports and the Ion College Basketball Podcast is with us. We got West Durham from the ACC Network stopping by. Pretty big game on Saturday. You might have heard about it. Duke at UNC. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about everything else going on in the Atlantic Coast Conference with friend of the program, West Durham. Now, we've got a loaded slate of basketball games that we have to recap from the week that was. And Norlander, you teased this earlier in the week, but Saturday and Sunday slate in college basketball, fantastic, my friend. It's loaded. So I'm excited to talk ball today. Oh, no, absolutely. And uh, we'll obviously get into a heavy uh, weekend preview here soon. But there's a lot. Dude, here we are on a Thursday morning. Haven't talked since Monday morning. We've had a lot of stuff happen since then. Um it's also February, okay? It is a, it's so officially that means February. We're, <laughs> we're doing a little bubble talk, baby. I That's mean, we're fine. easing I, into I, it. I will not object to that. But where do you want to start here? Because there's about five different places we could open the show. We can go stuff, stuff right off of Wednesday night, you know, fresh in the memory bank, or we go a couple days earlier. How you how you want to get this thing going? Man, here's the thing. I think you know where we need to start the show. Sound, please. <laughs> Trimble gets the ball. Inbounds it to Baycott at the high post. Hands off to R.J. Davis. He drives, took contact, can't finish. The ball's tipped up, no good. Davis wants a whistle. He did not get it. And Georgia Tech is going to upset Carolina by the final score of 74-73. As R.J. Davis still searching for the whistle which will not come. Carolina sees its 10-game winning streak snapped with the loss to the Jackets. Jones Angel, Tar Heel Sports Network from Learfield. Carolina, what happened? What? That what, sounded what like the Carolina call. You, you <laughs> thought... It sounded like the you, Georgia Tech team call. You, you, thought, you, you thought you were just going to stroll into McCamish? You thought you were just going to waltz in 
to ATL and get a dub before Duke comes to town? Nah, son, get this L. 74-73, Georgia Tech gets the win. Did you think it was a call? Should it have been a called foul on R.J. Davis on the final play of the game? What do you think? I was fine with the no call. I was fine with it. Perhaps slightly, and I mean slightly, exaggerated in the moment by R.J. Davis trying to draw the official's whistle. Didn't happen. Don't get caught in a one-possession game on the road against the Bees. All right, or you're going to get stung, and that's exactly what happened there. Nice. And it's it's just the first loss of the season in ACC play for the Heels. It's the first loss in 10 games. The timing isn't great, but Duke and, Duke and uh, UNC have something in common. They've been knocked out by Damon Stoudemire's crew in that building this season. Uh, first time in a long time. I think it's 07 uh, was the last time, I think, that uh, that Tech beat Duke and Carolina at home. Um Good time stuff there from uh, from Damon Stoudemire, who's just in a he's in a he's in a building year of year one. So to get that kind of win and to have a few victories here, maybe this will be a spoiler in the ACC tournament. We'll see. Um, it, but yeah, for for UNC, I, I will say this, and as we get ready to prep the the huge weekend later in the show, uh, the one bummer is we've got a lot of these highly ranked teams taking L's going into the weekend. So while it's an incredible weekend. Uh, not everyone's exactly uh, pushing into it on fire here. Quite a few, uh, quite a few defeats as we uh, as we prep for Saturday and Sunday. Well, that's a nice tease because there will be plenty of North Carolina talk when West Durham joins the show here in about thirty minutes. But yes, Norlander, you're right. North Carolina, not the only top five team on Tuesday night to catch an L. Ziegler brings it into connect. Connect at midcourt. Two seconds left. Connect all alone with the three go. It's no good. And you can put Spurs on this one. South Carolina takes down number five, Tennessee, handing the Vols their first home loss of the season. You got to rank them now, people. 63-59, your final score. Lamont Paris and his guys just will not back down. That's Derek Scott on the Gamecock Sports Network from Learfield. Norlander, there's a lot to unpack from that audio clip there. <laughs> South Carolina gets the win 63-59 at Tennessee. Vols lost a game where they failed to break 60. Shocker. But Tennessee-Kentucky coming up this weekend. Top 10 matchup where a team is, you know, having to kind of lick their wounds from an L. Did you catch anything from that clip, Norlander, that stuck out to you? I can uh, play it again if you'd like. No, no. I'm going to say uh, the, the uh, now you got to rank them. Like the surprise that this is an 18-3 team that doesn't have a number next to his name. Is that what you're getting at? Well, that that's that's. I mean, that that is certainly up for debate. Okay, no, there's another, no. There's another one. Hold on. Hold something on. More. We had something about Spurs up or something like that. No, I mean that's. I mean that's okay. obviously an homage to Sir Big Spur, the mascot. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, I actually couldn't name you the South Carolina mascot, but uh, good on you for that. Uh, yeah, you know what? Play it one more time. What am I missing on this call? Go ahead, just, play it. I mean, just I mean, in honor of the Grammys coming up this weekend, just just listen in the background to what you hear. Ziegler brings it into connect. Connect at midcourt. Two seconds left. Connect all alone with the three go. It's no good. And you can put Spurs on this one. South Carolina takes down number five Tennessee, handing the Vols their first home loss of the season. You gotta rank them now, people. 63-59. Your final score. Lamont Paris and his guys just will not back down. Yeah, I'm lost. I don't know. What am I missing here? Tennessee as a top five team goes down at home to South Carolina. 
Strike up the band, guys. Rocky Top. Let's go. Let's just come on, guys. Let's do it anyway. We that just was, took uh, an L at home to an unranked okay, team. Okay, got it. So you're saying that even okay, so you're saying that Tennessee just gets just gets his butt whooped. And, and that you lose at home. You don't even crack sixty when your team that was averaging seventy nine and a half going in, that's a butt whooping. Uh, and you're saying that the the Vol band uh, just completely not reading the room at the moment and just Strike like Strike it up, to- guys. Come on. Okay. One more time for everybody leaving. Rocky Top. Let's go. I'm like literally listening or like, is this, is this, uh, is this, is this the band like mixing in an Usher tune or something like that? I didn't know what was going down there. So, okay. Fair enough. Not Dalton Connect's fault. Everybody else on Tennessee. I mean, you need to, you need to get right uh, before Kentucky on Saturday, but Dalton Connect went for 31 on 11 of 24 shooting rest of the team. I mean, the stats were just abysmal offensively Gamecocks though. Have wins over number six Kentucky at the time, now number five Tennessee. Oh, in a span of seven days, yeah. South Carolina gets wins over those two heavyweights. They're eighteen and three. What's your take, Norlander, on where the Gamecocks stand as uh, as we reach the halfway point in conference play? We are at the halfway point in conference play. We are also into February. Let's talk a little bubble. Is South Carolina a bubble team at 18 and three? I don't believe so. No. Now they don't have uh, amazing resume numbers, but I think that they are comfortably in the field as of right now. And getting that win, which rates, by the way, according to KPI, is the most valuable win of the season. That is tied with uh, with Tennessee's win at Wisconsin. Uh, big, big, big time stuff there right now. South Carolina, because as a result of the win, uh, it is four and two in quad one. It's got. Uh, it's got one quad three loss, but it's 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 sitting well there. I went on HQ on Wednesday, and we got to talking about the Gamecocks. My prediction for South Carolina on Selection Sunday is a five seed, is a wow. five seed ultimately, because I think they're going to get picked off in SEC play here. They'll take a few L's, and uh, and you know they're not con. They're going to make up for what they. I guess you know the lack of reputation and the lack of wins in the non-con. Um, you know, they won against Virginia Tech, which was good. Um, and they actually have a, a semi-away win against Grand Canyon, which is a quad two win. It's actually a good one. Um, but other than that, you've got a lot of nothing in there. So you got to make up for it in league play, and they have so far. But they still got to play at Auburn. they got to play at Ole Miss, at A&M, at Mississippi State, host Tennessee. they got to return here. We'll see with Florida. I think they're going to do enough, and I think that they'll be a five seed. Lamont Paris has done an excellent job. Um, they've got got like uh Taylon Cooper, man, oh man, what a uh what a shooter, what a player, six four senior, formerly at uh, most people don't know who he is, and I understand it because he was at Minnesota last season, and Minnesota was a nothing team, and he played at Morehead, he started his career at Morehead State, but he's finishing up as a Gamecock, and they're really they're really doing something, man. That is just it was so impressive to see Sacramento go in and get this dub, and. They have one NCAA tournament appearance since 04. It was the 2017 year under Frank Martin. They're going. It would it would take a an inconceivable collapse for that not to be the case. So uh, one reason why I love the sport among literally hundreds, if not thousands, is that every single season, if you want to even narrow this down to just who's in the tournament, we get, you know, three, five, seven 
10 schools sometimes even um, across the board of the 68 that get in that have something compelling about them being involved in the field of 68. And uh, a lot of those schools are schools that have just not gone for a long time and normally aren't there. South Carolina is one of those programs, man. Like, go ahead and pull up a, pull up a 2008 uh, NCAA tournament bracket. Pull up a 2015, pull up a 2021, pull up a 1992 or a 1984. All right, who is in this year? South Carolina is not in most of those fields, man. They almost never get there historically. And for them to do this, uh, I did mention this on the CBS pod, but it is notable. Um, by nature of beating Kentucky and Tennessee, two top 10 teams in a three-game span, it's the first time since South Carolina was a member of the ACC. That's right, kids. Gamecocks, founding member of that league. And uh, in 68, uh, South Carolina beat Duke and Carolina in back-to-back games when those teams were ranked in the top 10. So it had been that long. That long, the Beatles were still going strong the last time South Carolina won two games against top 10 teams in a three-game span. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, listen to you waxing on SEC basketball. You love to see it. So Tennessee suffers the home loss on Tuesday night to South Carolina. Now they have to get up off the mat, and they have to go to Rupp Arena to play Kentucky on Saturday night. Wildcats, they're not going to get caught looking ahead on Wednesday, are they, with the Gators in town? They're 9 of 12 overall. Oh, and he missed the second. Bricked it. Rebound Gators. Down by three. Eight seconds. Pulling to Clayton. Clayton pump fake. Fires for three up top. Good, good, good. Ties the game at 84. Sean Kelly, Gator Sports Network from Learfield. Norlander, you wrote about Kentucky's defensive liabilities earlier this week. It reared its head in a big way, 94-91. Kentucky loses to Florida at home in OT. Come on, guys. Can't give up 94 points at home. That can't happen. Yeah, on 1.18 points per possession allowed, not going to cut it. Uh, You know, 1.0 points per possession is the general target if you want to be acceptable on defense. 1.18 is a bad night. And let me check right now. This morning, Kentucky was 75th in defensive efficiency at the start of that game, and now it's, oh, it's actually still 75th. Okay, good good on you, UK. Um, yes, I wrote about it at Leb, the court report. Uh, Kentucky's defense is 75th. The, uh, the Kempom era goes back to 1997. There's only been four teams ranked 30th or worse in defensive efficiency at the start of the tournament, not after you've begun tournament play, at the start of it. Uh, 03 Syracuse. 09 Carolina, which was to me was a shocker, 15 Duke, and then 21 Baylor. But as many people have pointed out, and I probably I didn't want to bog down the copy uh, on on the story. 2021 Baylor is 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 the worst defense pre-tournament. It was 44th, but they had a COVID pause. They had like a three-week stretch in that random ass COVID year where they just dropped off a map. Then they got their act back together, and it killed their efficiency numbers. They almost don't count. So there's never if you want to for practical purposes for much of that season, Baylor was a top 10 defense in the country. So don't even and put them in here's the deal if you're not top 40 in defensive efficiency heading into the tournament you can't win the tur- t- title you can make the final four we've had a number of teams that have been worse than 50th or 60th that have made the final four but none of those teams that have made the final four have even gotten to the title game so there's a ceiling on kentucky right now uh, i don't put away hope that it can't get its act together but i wouldn't bank on it and it's why this is just an early heads up unless you see unless we get to march and we see a kentucky team that's routinely holding teams under 70 points and i'm talking routinely 
five times in a six-game stretch, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, don't pick them to win your bracket because history suggests it will not happen. And as, for, as for good as they are on offense and they got plenty of depth and there's a lot of fun there, they're just not – you can't win six straight games in a race to 85. It will burn you. It will not work. Um, and how about Kentucky and Tennessee going in the weekend with this huge game? They both take L's this week. Come on, guys. What are we doing here? Yeah, and and this is a Kentucky team that's I mean they're 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 a little schizophrenic right now. Like you just I mean yes they won at Arkansas over the weekend, but I mean Arkansas is not a tournament team. They're they're bottom third in the SEC. They're not good. So yeah, we'll see what happens with uh, with Kentucky hosting Tennessee. That is um, just one of many just dynamite games on Be- on Saturday correct. and Sunday. It's yes, a loaded correct. slate which yeah. we will get to coming up uh, towards the end of the show. I, I will also tease Norlander. I mean, you heard the sound bites. I mean, just a, a ton of prep work went into today's show. Not as much prep work that went into the now spinning portion of the show that we will oh get to a little bit later. We will test uh, your musical prowess. I'm looking forward with, to it. Um, with I have not Grammy looked. talk. Yes, I have not looked, so. Yeah, okay. so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later um, in the program. So, Kentucky and Florida was was Wednesday night. Uh, that was probably not the lead. I, I know you and the rest of the Big Ten are very excited about Purdue Northwestern, which went to overtime. How so I'll, I'll give be? you a couple minutes here to talk about Zach Eady putting thirty hold on, on the cast. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now I don't I don't know the full scope of the uh, of the establishment that is uh, Learfield. Okay. And and the and the relationships, business, professional ones that that exist across the college sports landscape. So maybe maybe Northwestern or Purdue don't have don't have radio deals with Learfield. Are you about to tell me that the most exciting moment of the week so far, you didn't grab the audio to share with our audience? Oh, you're talking about the ejection yes. at the end of the uh, of at the end I of the am. game. Yeah. So here's the deal: both uh, both Purdue and Northwestern uh, have uh, Learfield affiliations. But uh, as of uh, as of press time today, Thursday morning, uh, none of those highlights were showing up in the old box. So, so let's, I mean, look, let's, I, uh, let's take me by what's what's going on there. Is that is that unusual? Uh, without, um, you know, without taking our listeners too far behind the curtain, some broadcasts are run in my studio in Winston-Salem. Yep. Others are run in other studios that aren't in Winston-Salem. And so sometimes these things show up pretty quickly, like right after the game. Other times it takes, you know, the morning after or the afternoon after. In that case, uh, the game you're referring to specifically, I got no audio that I can quickly access from that game because those broadcasts did not run from, uh, you know, the, the studio. In which All right, I, well, fair enough. If, if that audio lately. pops up in the next 45 to 50 you minutes. You want Chris Collins' audio? Is that what you want specifically? I want, I want to hear what I, – I wonder which, uh, which call. We won't know it in, until real time. But if you get either one from either team, I, I wonder, yeah, I wonder what that radio call sounds like. Because <laughs> Chris Collins – Purdue wins 105-96 in overtime. They pull away in overtime. Northwestern – Almost took this in regulation. Boo Booey had a had a runner that uh, that was just uh, awry and didn't fall in. He almost beat Purdue a third straight time. Zach Eady had thirty points, ten of them in overtime. Uh, I feel like every single I watched most of the game. Uh, there was a definitely quad box situation, obviously on Wednesday night. 
Um, but I feel like every single point Zach Eady scored from like the five minute, maybe even like the eight minute mark of second half into the end of overtime was either a free throw or a get at the get the hell out of my way two handed dunk. <laughs> like it was, it was unreal. Uh, Braden Smith uh, at the sixteen assists, a career best. Uh, just such a heady point guard who's made more strides as a sophomore here, and I think that that development's going to really pay off in the tournament. Um, so good on Purdue. They win. The story is Chris Collins. And the, yeah, 46-8 to eight free throw disparity. Purdue shot 46 foul shots. Northwestern shot eight. For the uninitiated, one of Purdue's strengths is because of the nature of how who Edie is, and don't get it twisted. The dude gets hammered every game, okay? He's 7-4. You can't defend him, okay? So because of that and other things and what, and what Painter does, Purdue makes, let me listen carefully, Purdue makes more foul shots than their opponents take, and it's not close. Like, they led the nation last year. The difference was, I think Purdue made 120-plus more foul shots than their opponents even attempted. And this obviously drives Big Ten fans up the wall. Now, 46 to 8 is drastic. Uh, Chris Collins in the post game was level headed and, and admitted to some of it, but obviously he wants that disparity to be a little closer. Maybe can we can we even get this to 35 15? You know, um, it is as big of a disparity as I can ever remember in a game. 46, I it really might. It may or may not be a record. I just can't ever, like, you get that big, and maybe it's emphasized by the fact that Collins got run. Uh, but let's get to that ejection because an, uh, uh, a hook by David Jones of Purdue in overtime near the corner in front of the official very easily could have been an offensive foul call, and it doesn't get called in a tight game in a, in a one-possession game in, the, in that moment. So it doesn't get called for that, and then Northwestern gets clipped for a call, and... After that all happens on the ensuing play, um, when Purdue, I think it's the ensuing play, Purdue clinched the game. Um, Collins just, the, the play is happening on the Purdue end of the floor. So there's no one happening. He's uh, over by the Northwestern bench. There's no one down there. Collins struts out, screaming in Courtney Green's face, the official, just going at him. He wants to get thrown out. He, he The game is over. The game is over. He wants to get thrown out. He does get thrown out. He has to be held back by his players. He's going, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Then he has another word for the officiating crew. Amid all of this display, he, he's going full wrestling heel with this stuff. It's it's glorious. He, <laughs> Ah, man, great directing by the, by the Big Ten TV crew. Because then Painter's waiting. Like he, Painter knows. Painter doesn't crack a smile. Collins shakes his hand. Hey, man, yeah, good game. Yeah, good, good game. And then... Collins gives a couple handshakes to Purdue players as he's making his way. He's being he's being pushed out by one of his uh, one of the assistants, and then Zach Eady just happens to be just chilling under the basket. He gives him a whole like man hug, one hand in, one hand hug. Hey, great game! And then as Collins is walking out, he looks at the Purdue student section and raises the roof. And like, Come on, let's let's get it up, let's get it up! And and then he disappears behind the tunnel. It was among the greatest ejections from a college coach I've ever seen, Chris Collins. I I bow to you. And uh, as a quick aside to the people, and by people, I mean Hawkeye fans, that wanted to make this about them, losers, okay? 
I, there was a lot of, if this was Fran, the national media would be losing its mind and calling for him to be fired. Not about you, Iowa. Chris Collins doesn't do this and doesn't have a reputation of being completely over the top. This was obviously a very different thing than Fran. Stop making it about yourself. Thank you very much. Okay. I mean, that was, I mean, that that's quite a diatribe there. I, I think it was a fine ejection. I mean, look, Norlander, you, you've been passionately following college basketball for longer and more thoroughly than I have. It was a fine ejection. Was it an A plus ejection? It was an uh, it was an A. Yes. Okay. You're All trying right. to downplay that? Are you kidding me? We won't get an ejection like that again this season. Yeah, okay, fine. That's fine. I, I did appreciate him dapping up members of the Purdue staff <laughs> and, great, and, and bench on his way and, out and the it's, door. It's the, Hartzell, it's the timing. The, the game was over. You almost never, ever, ever see a coach get the hook. Technically, there was like two seconds to go because they went to the monitor. It was ridiculous. They but the game was done. Yes, you never yes. see an ejection coincide with the game ending. That's what sent it over the top. This wasn't four minutes to go in the second half. This was the game was done. I want to be thrown out. Throw me the hell out of this game. Just, I think he been, he went down as a legend in Purdue as well. I think they respect him for what he did there. I, I appreciate it. And yeah, the 46 to 8 is not a great disparity. But uh, yeah, I, I just... I, that was the best thing this week, man. I don't know if anything this weekend will top it. I certainly hope so. The, the matchups are incredible. But, um, yeah, that that made my night. That was so entertaining. Look, it is February. Okay, we're, we're all going to start getting geared up for, you know, the, the, the tournament. We got brackets coming out in less than seven weeks. I, I am willing to dust off this drop for you because you referenced it multiple times. The game was over. Thank you, Leonard. There Hamilton. we go. There you go. It's time. I mean, it's it's folks, it's time. There's no football this weekend. In fact... There is one, count it, one football game left uh, before we have to go until August, okay? And that's coming up next weekend. So it's it's time to just lean into what's happening with college basketball because the action is getting awfully spicy. All right, so shout-out to Purdue. They get the win at home. Purdue is playing Wisconsin on Sunday. That's a pair of teams ranked in the top six uh, that are hooking up uh, in a standalone game on Sunday afternoon on Big CBS. That's correct. We'll, we'll talk about that one coming up in a little bit. Okay, other action from Wednesday night. Uh, Alabama road win at Georgia. Uh, the Tide are, are ranked this week, and they were trailing big early in Athens. They were down 17-2 to at one point in the opening minutes. They trailed by 14 at halftime. They won the game by 9 a nice win by Nate Oates' guys there on the road against a tournament hopeful team in Georgia. They needed that one. Didn't happen. Uh, Baylor snapped a three-game losing streak. They won at UCF, 77-69. Yep. UConn handled their business against Providence. Shout-out to the Friars, though. They were game in this one for about, what do you think, Norlander, maybe 25, 30 minutes worth of the game. They, I mean, they played really good defense. They just don't have enough firepower. They were a pest the entire game. Um, this game took too long. I thought about you. Hang on a sec. It also, I, I was in studio last night. This game slid from its Correct. start time that it was did. scheduled for 8.30 yes. because of everything that was happening, um, I, I guess, at Mackey with Purdue and Northwestern. So this thing slid back to, I think, 8.45 Eastern tip. That's a 15-minute slide, guy. Like, that doesn't was, I happen. Actually, I didn't realize it. it slid. Fi they slid that 15 minutes in Gamble. Yeah. That's not even like a Hartford pushback. That's a Gamble pushback. We got a yeah. lot of people like I drive home like that's what are we doing here? Apparently Gamble's um, but it's got the some Wi-Fi issues so that's too, by the way. Bad what? bad Wi-Fi at Gamble Norlander, can you confirm? Uh it has been spotty, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in my bottom five. Okay. 
All right. Yeah, it's like you know the Duncan Providence. It's not Greenville. Got it. Not Greenville. That's right. Um, Providence hung around, but a lot to ask. Um, to and Stefan Castle was was tremendous there. UConn doesn't drop a game heading into its matchup this weekend. We'll get to that later in the show. The Baylor win was good because it was in a real game against UCF on the road. You get a road win, good for good for the Bay, Baylor Bears. Georgia. They got time to uh, to make good on this, and I'm not going to say it's it's not not realistic um, because th- there's opportunities on the schedule. But Mike White's team was 12 and three three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and since then it has gone two and four. And the past two are probably what's going to break it from breaking into, into the tournament. Um, they were down big at Florida, came back, got close, lost in overtime. They almost pulled off an incredible comeback there. Couldn't get it done. Then you return, and you are dominating Alabama. And not only do you blow the game, you lose by nine on your home court. Mike White, you know, year two, Georgia, it's strangely a tougher job than people realize there. Um, I thought Georgia... And this might prove to be true. I thought Georgia was going to be like a one seed in the NIT in the preseason. I pro- projected them to just miss out on the tournament, which is a higher higher forecast than almost anyone. Uh, and they may well still do that, but that's uh, that's a backbreaker, man. They had Alabama. They had him. They had him. And then just Alabama got out of the cage and completely took this game over. Um, so impressive stuff by Bama on the road. Uh, Georgia had no business losing that game, so that's a tough um, that's a tough pair right there of uh, of losses. We also had uh, Auburn beat Vanderbilt. I I had it on the quad box. I barely watched it. What are we doing here? Vanderbilt continues to lose. Um, we got a matchup of two SEC. I don't want to call them frauds, but I, I am intrigued by Auburn Ole Miss on uh, on Saturday. That made the list. We'll talk about that. That, that, one that is bit. big. And then a huge night for Rice. Rice in general. Rice, the program, went into Memphis and won and gave Memphis a four straight loss, a, a four straight bad loss. And the Tigers have gone from being ranked 10th in the AP Top 25 two weeks ago to now barely having an NCAA tournament resume. It is quickly dropping. Uh, Rice is a sub 500 team. And then Max Rice, son of Leon Rice at Boise State, goes off. New Mexico, who had been impossible to beat in the pit, <laughs> they go in, and I watched I watched all of it, man. I was fading late, but I was like, I got to do it. I got to watch the game. Fading, though. Fading in the final two, three minutes of this. Uh, Boise State, 86. New Mexico, 78. That is a mammoth win for Boise State in the Mountain West race overall. Uh, now, as we speak here on Thursday morning, Utah State six, seven and one, Boise State six and two in second place. New Mexico is now six and three, tied in the loss column with San Diego State and Wyoming. Colorado State, which has a tournament resume, is four and four. Nevada, which has a tournament resume, is three and four. Some funky stuff developing in that. Uh, in that league, and it's as good as advertised. But Max Rice, man, 35 points. He hit seven of his 14 three-point attempts. Incredible game. Big night for Rice all around. We literally praised Memphis on this show like two and a half weeks ago. Uh, since then, they've dropped four straight. Now, they haven't won a basketball game in over two weeks. It's and bad. It's, it's really bad. Speaking of rice, Norlander, talk to me about the rice consumption in your household. Do you have a rice cooker? Don't have a rice cooker. Uh, we we buy the we either do the Trader Joe's frozen rice 
and that's like a once uh, once a month pickup. Or we do the you know the rice that is in bags. And I'm a if I if you're asking me to pick a rice, I'm a basmati guy. That's what I that's what I lean to. Basmati guy, I respect it. Okay, yeah. you yeah. should look into a rice cooker, man. That's a hardworking kitchen appliance. And yeah, you're probably rice. right about that. Um, and we do have just enough. We don't our our counter space isn't too small. It's not too large. That's for sure. We've got we've got enough. Um, I've never considered it. Maybe I, I don't should. like appliances on the counter. I'm, I'm yeah, a clean I'm not, counter yeah. guy. Don't Agreed. really enjoy the clutter. But uh, we have a rice cooker. I mean, my mother-in-law is Korean, and she lives with us, so obviously we're going to have rice on deck like at all times. Oh, but I'm you. just saying, yeah. as a as a as an appliance, one that I was not really uh, exposed to as a youth. Yeah. Uh, the, the rice cooker works pretty hard, man. I mean, it keeps rice like perfect, like warm, steamed, ready to go for like four or five days at a time. So, I mean, there there are some benefits there. But uh, yeah, shout out to the owls for getting it done. That was a road win at Memphis. And what's going on with Penny's guys? They're reeling right now. What? What? A couple more uh, before we bring in our guests, and this will kind of coincide for, uh, quite nicely uh, for when Wes hops in. Uh, Wake Forest. Loss on the road at Pitt. Deeks were up 10 at halftime, Norlander. Yeah. Couldn't get it done. Like, that just, that can't happen for my Deeks. Needed that one. That's, that's a dinger. It really is. Um, the ACC is not helping itself. We'll talk about more of this with Wes there. But that's, uh, that's a, that is a, that is a tough one. Um, and it UVA got right at home. You'd love to see that. Needed it. True. True. Yeah, de- de- definitely, definitely needed it. I want to say real quick on Wake Forest, um, Seth Davis wrote a really great story that you can't read anymore on um, Janetta Forbes, Steve Forbes' wife. She suffered a stroke last summer. And then, um, yeah, then the messenger, which Seth Davis wrote for, literally shut down, fired its entire staff, and closed its website by by Wednesday night. I shared Seth Davis' story Wednesday afternoon because it was really good and really well done, and then they didn't even have the site up five hours later. Like just a complete joke there. So I'm not going to go off on a diatribe, but uh, but yeah, another tough week in sports media as well. And and this was a story. You know, Seth said he's going to get it. You know, somewhere so people can read it. Um, Steve Forbes uh, and his lovely wife have uh, have been on a, a you know a grueling road in recent months, and he's trying to get his team to get you know into the tournament here and get Wake back to the tournament for the first time since 2017 and uh and they couldn't pull off a win last night but i at least wanted to give seth a little bit of love for for that was what was obviously a a tough day and what was a really really tough month in the media industry yeah and i had to explain to my son who's four and uh is a a a relatively passionate wake forest basketball fan uh that the deeks now need to get right against syracuse on saturday a game that did not make the rundown for premier college basketball games that we will preview coming up this weekend we hit pause on the acc talk for now Wes durham friend of the program acc network joins us coming up after this some people just know bundling with allstate means big savings just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor they know honey on pizza is where it's at and olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. 
As promised, we bring in our man Wes Durham from ESPN and the ACC Network. Obviously a busy, busy weekend of games coming up in the ACC, highlighted by North Carolina and Duke. Uh, we'll get to that, Wes, but uh, thank you for making the time. What did you make of, uh, of some of the midweek action in the ACC before we preview this weekend slate? Uh, before you came on, we had some uh, we had some Georgia Tech UNC audio that was fun at McCamish, uh, you know. But 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 this is a league that's trying to get more teams in the mix nationally as far as uh, you know NCAA tournament consideration. So what do you make of the ACC right now? Well, the home teams got right because uh, quite frankly, Duke's win at Virginia Tech so far this week's the only time the road team has won. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, going into Tuesday night, home teams are only three above 500 in ACC play. Home teams are only 35 and 32 in conference play. And people say, well, what does that matter? It, but it matters because the ACC traditionally has been a 63 to 68% uh, home winning percentage, right? So you've seen crazy things happen. And road teams, I think – now, this is off the top of my head, Stephen, and you know my math is awful um, – I think home team road teams had won. I think eight of the previous thirteen conference games. So I, I, I think home teams got right. Certainly last night they did. I thought what Pitt did last night is kind of exemplary of where the ACC is, um, and it's taking a beating nationally. And that's because the net sets the narrative. And November and December, and I'm beginning to believe the net is exactly the organization that runs it. So um, it's it's failed. Um, and I, I think that it's going to be interesting to watch this league because I do believe it's really good, but I also think the ceiling on the league is six with four, hopefully five, getting in, I believe. How are you feeling about that middle tier? Like, let's set North Carolina and Duke aside. You know, if we're talking about Virginia, FSU, NC State – we okay. can even throw Wake in there, but sure. as, as far as that, you know, that second tier, who are you feeling good about as we reach the halfway point in conference play? Who do you have concerns with? I feel very good about Virginia. I think they have figured out kind of what the lack of interior presence is like. I think Jordan Miner is going to play a bigger role for them in the second half of the conference season than he has the first half. Uh, I thought the Groves' development last night was encouraging to go with what Beekman does and certainly what McNeely and, and some of those guys do. And I still think as long as you've got uh, Dunn on the floor, you got a chance, right? Um, so I, I think they're too well coached. They're too well schemed to, uh, to, to drift very far out of the top three or four. Um, I am encouraged by Wake Forest, but I'm also confounded by Wake Forest. Uh, I thought last night was a night where you go on the road, you get a good win, you go to six and four, and you stay in the conversation. I am more confident about Wake Forest than I am NC State, which is interesting. Um, I didn't think I'd be that way, but I am because I had the Wolfpack last Saturday night at Syracuse, and I still don't know why I saw what I saw there. Um, but I did. I saw an NC State team that just failed to start the game, and I thought Syracuse with Mintz and Starling were terrific. And then to show you just how ACC Syracuse is, they went to BC and lost and, you know, trailed early and never kind of recovered in it. They did get it close late, but I, I, thought, that the, uh, I thought that the Orange were starting to play better. The team I would caution you guys on is the one I saw Tuesday night, and that's Clemson. I think Clemson is better than what the conference record shows. And remember, Clemson has only played – the other night I think was their fourth home conference game. This week will be their fifth and their tenth game. But they started out with like five of their first eight on the road. 
So Clemson has been like to places already that you're kind of like going, well, wait a second, how'd that happen? They've been to Blacksburg. They've been to Chapel Hill, or rather to Durham. They're going to Chapel Hill again. They had Carolina come there. Um, I, I think Clemson is a much better basketball team, and, and I think they're November, December, if we're going to go back to the, the original narrative, Stephen mm-hmm. and Matt. I think if you go look at Clemson's November, December, they show you they're a better basketball team than their ACC start probably would lead you to believe. As a reminder to our audience, Clemson has a win over Boise State well on its way to the mm-hmm. tournament, a win at Alabama, which is uh, you know well-positioned right now, um, a win at Pitt. It is a road win uh, of note, and it does uh, – I think it's quad one as of this morning. It also has a win over TCU well on its way to the tournament. But Clemson's going to be fascinating because it's got home to Virginia this weekend, then at North right. Carolina, then at Syracuse. So this is a critical stretch for the Tigers because I, I want to believe that's the third best team in the league, but I will not be able to say that if they can't get out of that run. Home, Virginia, at North Carolina, at UNC. Got to go 2-1 and one for me to truly still stand up on that. And with having said that, yeah. having said that, Wes, here's my question for you because – I, there has been this thing that has bubbled up and I, and I don't necessarily reject the idea that the big 12 has been overvalued. I, Mm. I I know why the big 12 has been brought into this. It's because the ACC has went nine and three against big 12 teams. Unfortunately, that is just way too small of a sample size. We are, we are dealing with the universe where 12 games uh, cherry picked out of hundreds is just not good enough for me. Um, So Mm. I get why ACC fans are saying, um, you know, look at our record against them, and, and the ACC is really not that bad. Well, every every predictive metric has AC, the ACC like comfortably as the fifth best uh, league, and the reason why I would support that point, I don't think it's going to be a two bid right. league. I don't think it's going to be a three bid league. But the reason why I would support that is this: look at the ACC, North Carolina and Duke. Okay, then after that, who do you trust? And by trust. I mean, you feel more confident than not they can win multiple NCAA tournament games. Virginia, NC State, Clemson, Wake Forest, uh, Syracuse, go down the list and with teams that aren't even going to make the tournament there. Like, there's not more than two teams in the league that you trust to get to the Sweet 16. And so that's why I think the league is good, but you cannot even say that this is a, a top three league in the country because it's got two really, really good ones. But, Wes, you would surely agree that after that, there are just too many unknowns at this point. There are too many unproven teams. Well, but I would also say, too, that I've seen this league, Matt, go the counter to that, and I'm with you on the ACC and the Big 12 only playing 12 games, right? I understand that. I have no problem at all with that. But what I don't understand is how the ACC can go play the overall caliber of the non-conference they've played and still not get any return on the investment based on the NCAA metric, right? Because I look at Iowa State and I look at TCU, okay? First of all, Iowa State lost by nine to Virginia Tech. They've lost to Texas A&M. They played Lindenwood, Idaho State, Prairie View, Florida A&M, Eastern Illinois, New Hampshire in the non-conference. And I'm just kind of bewildered by that. I'm bewildered by a metric where I keep hearing that, you know, there's really not a declarative trait in it that it's a comprehensive measuring tool, and yet I see Iowa State's non-conference schedule. I think these coaches were gamed a little bit on the metric, and ACC's paying for it. They paid for it last year. They may likely pay for it this year. But to answer your question, I think that you mentioned Carolina Duke. I think Virginia is in the loop of winning two. 
I think that Clemson can win two. Miami could win two. Wake could win two. I don't trust NC State right now. Doesn't mean that they won't get there. I just think they're having some chemistry issues. They've got to get smoothed out. I thought they did the other night against Miami from what I've seen. I haven't watched the whole game, but I've watched uh, a condensed version of it. And, look, I think they're – Four or five teams. I honestly do. I think if you – and the track record of the league in the tournament shows you, like, based on the Miamis, based on, you know, other schools that have been in the loop from the league in the last couple of years, what they're going to do when they get to the tournament. And they're going to stand there again and go, hey, wait a second, y'all didn't want to put us in here, and now we're in here and we've got three in the Sweet 16 type thing. You're not wrong about that whatsoever, and that's why I brought the Sweet 16 particularly. Um Virginia is fascinating. Uh, it got absolutely boat raced against a Memphis team that is off the rails right now. It was not remotely no. competitive against a terrible no. Notre Dame team. Uh, but it yeah. does sit here at 16-5 and five on a five-game winning streak, 7-3 and three overall. Um, it's – and I, you're talking to a guy – I was higher literally on Virginia than anyone in, in the preseason. I had Virginia <laughs> – I had Virginia winning the ACC and being like right. a top-12 team. I was wrong about that as we sit here today. It's 58 at Ken Palm, which is stunning to me that a 16-5 and Virginia team could be 58, but that's a result of losing by 24 points against Wisconsin sure. and losing by 23 against Memphis and losing by 22 against Notre Dame. Um, I, I want to trust them, Wes, when we get to March. If you tell me that Virginia on March 1, one month from today, has no more than seven losses, it's at five right now, then I probably would in that spot trust them to get to win two in the tournament i'm just not quite there yet because the recent wins are home against virginia tech home against notre dame at bad louisville needed ot to squeak past nc state and they won against georgia tech i just got to see a little bit more that's all no no i i'm with you on that and i think that virginia's biggest um deficiency was their inside look i had them in raleigh early in the year and i've got them ironically a week from tuesday night when they played notre dame uh, in the rematch of the game, I, I, I am uh, – or rather Pitt, I should say. They're going to play Pitt. And and I've seen a Virginia team that in Raleigh didn't have an answer for D.J. Burns. Well, last night they kind of proved to me they've got answers. And I think Groves has developed. I think Rhodey's discovered his role. I've already mentioned McNeely and Beekman and Dunn and things like that. I, and I just think Tony Bennett, this is a kind of a different team for him, to be honest. And – it's going to be really interesting to watch this league because you guys know this. This event in D.C. that gets to the NCAA tournament is capable of producing a knockout or a play-in candidate for the NCAA, and I think that's going to be really interesting as well. Uh, Wes, let's go to Chapel Hill on Saturday night. Uh, okay. Duke, North Carolina. I, I think before the loss at Georgia Tech, talking to Duke people, they were pretty excited about the trip because, you know, hey, you know, UNC's on a roll. We got them right where we want them. Th- these are the right. types of games that they lose to us. Uh, wh- what do you expect to see from both the Blue Devils and the Tar Heels Saturday night? Something close. <laughs> um, I, I think that's almost a given now with these two. Uh I got to be honest. I think the some of the matchup stuff is going to be interesting. Uh, Carolina is really predicated more, and Matt's probably seen them as many times as I have. Carolina is probably predicated more on hitting shots than. But I will say the one thing they have kind of stitched up, and it's an outlier if you go back and look at the last ten to fifteen years. This is a whale of a defensive team. 
Um, now, they, they had some moments the other night they're probably not particularly proud of at the defensive end, especially Nathan George's ability to get to the rim on some stuff, not, not just the shot at the end, but some of the other stuff. Um, on the whole, they've been pretty good defensively. I thought the other night was their inability to shoot free throws plus the, um, you know, some of those timely shots. But I, I thought they, they have finally come to the realization, it feels like, Stephen, that Armando Baycott's not the center of their universe, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that's pretty important for them because they've got other guys. And Harrison Ingram is the best fit of a transfer portal player maybe in the country, but certainly in the ACC in terms of what he does. But I, I think you'd be foolish to think that a veteran player like Jeremy Roach doesn't play a big role, uh, Filipowski playing a big role. Um, I believe that a kid like Caleb Foster, who's from North Carolina, who understands what that game is and grew up with that game, uh, embraces that kind of stage. And I think he's the kind of kid that can go into Chapel Hill and hit a couple long jump shots and and change the narrative. Carolina cannot, I don't believe, Carolina cannot get into a uh, a shot-for-shot game. I think Duke is too talented offensively. I think Carolina is good offensively, but I think they're much better on the defensive end right are, now. Are you, you you buying into this uh, UNC defensive revival? I mean, that, this is not what we're used to seeing. It's not a revival. It's a, it's an, I mean, it's an invention. It's not a comeback <laughs> because, I mean, let's be honest. Roy's teams were okay. This is a much better defensive team than, again, I'm going to go back 15 years. I'll go back to like 2010. Um, I'll give you pieces of the 09 national championship team being good defensively, but only pieces. It did not rate well defensively, Wes. We talked about that before you came on. It's one of yeah. the it's there's there's only been four teams in the Ken Palm era back to 1997 to be worse than 30th in defense nationally going into the tournament on the eve of the tournament. 09 Carolina was one of the four worst defensive teams that nonetheless yeah. they went on to win the title. Yeah. I mean, and and so at times they were good defensively, right? The 05 team, no chance. The 05 National Championship team was 94 feet with May McCants and Felton, right? And Marvin Williams. That's that's not a – that wasn't a team wired defensively. I, I promise you, I, watching the ACC for – I'm showing my age here – as many years as I have professionally, Stephen, I don't know that I've seen Carolina play consistent defense the way they do now. And, again, I give Georgia Tech full credit for the other night. I, I think Damon Stoudemire has got some weird prescription for Duke, Carolina, and road games at Clemson. And look at their three wins. That's just crazy Yeah, that those three wins. I mean, you would say, okay, Georgia Tech's got three wins. You'd throw BC, Notre Dame, and Louisville would be your three you know, teams they might have beaten. They've beaten the top two teams and arguably the third highest rated team in the net, right, at 30-something. Um, so for me, I, I think Carolina and Duke will be a hell of a game. Uh, I say Baycott is not the center of their universe, but he could end up being the center of the universe on Saturday night too. I'll close with this. I, I just, okay. every time we have people on that are part of conferences where things are going to look a lot different next year, I, you talk to every coach in the league. So, so take football out of the equation on, on the basketball side of things, Wes, I know you personally are excited yeah. to go to Palo Alto and Berkeley, really? right? And rack really? up rack up some miles. <laughs> really? H- how are these coaches so, how huh? are these coaches feeling about West Coast travel next year? <laughs> they don't know a thing about it right now. They don't. The, in fact, I'm getting more intel from the football guys than I am the basketball guys about it. Yeah. And you know, you know me, Stephen, I'm I'm fully convinced that we're inside 5 years of some sort of trade 
where, where the, uh, you know, when the intergalactic college world we know uh, has another meteor hit it, um, I'm not convinced we don't trade in the ACC, Cal and Stanford for like West Virginia and Cincinnati or something. You know, I mean, just some sort of transactional deal. Like, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to swap these two for those two, and we'll, you know, it's like a Monopoly board game type thing. But I, I think the ACC is genuinely excited. I can tell you that in basketball, I've watched enough of SMU. I have actually seen uh, Cal and Stanford play. Um, Cal, Mark Matson's done a pretty good job. Stanford, I think. Jared Haas has got – I watched their win at Oregon State, Matt, a few weeks ago. That was a pretty good win in overtime. Yeah, that was a that's a that's an entertaining team. I don't know that they've got a a player that would come in here and start taking names in the league, but well, they they I, had know, they had one, but he plays for Carolina now. So that is correct. Yeah, and he's going to be at Carolina for a while, right? I mean, he's what a terrific fit he is. But yeah. you know, they've supplied the ACC with what Michael O'Connell at NC State, Harrison Ingram at Carolina. I mean, they're just Stanford's kind of fortified the league before it even got in it. So. I think it'll be interesting, Stephen. The thing, I will tell you this. The number one question that I've gotten about those three schools arriving in this league for basketball is how in the world are we going to play the tournament? Yeah. It's a, it's a valid That's actually question. a good point. Uh, we're going to cut you loose here. But uh, but on that on that note, the Big Ten did announce this week, uh, the Big Ten obviously going to uh, Super League 18 team size next year. Right. Or really this like year, but ACC. next season. Yeah. Um, Correct. And uh, the Big Ten is going to have a 15-team bracket. So basically it's allowing for one more first-round game, number 10 seed versus number 15 seed, and teams 16, 17, 18 will not go to the tournament. Personally, I'm in favor of this. Having an 18-team league tournament to me is absurd. Uh, I understand for the folks that say, you know, you're a member of the league, you get to play in the bracket. Uh, at a certain point, this is this is some of the collateral damage of, of the greed of the presidents to want to have 18 teams in a league. Um, I, I personally think that the ACC should stick at its current format and just stay with 15. And I wonder if by the Big Ten setting that template, it doesn't follow. Uh, I would tell Jim Phillips the very same if we were talking to him right now. 18 teams is, is a joke and at least give some sort of uh, real carrot to the teams at the bottom. Like, you want to go and be a part of a historic league tournament like the ACC, don't be 16, 17, or 18. I, I would follow that mold, but uh, I haven't received intel yet on what the ACC is going to do. All right, let me ask you this. By the way, is that a rooster I'm hearing? Yeah, that's Bernie. He's outside my window. Yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Good ears, though. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, we... I mean, how many shows, let's be honest, Hartzell, how many shows offer that kind of, you know, environment? I was just going to let solid. it, I was hoping you couldn't hear it. But, yes, I'm at home. Uh, yeah, the, the chickens are out, and they're roosting. They're doing their thing. Man. That's better than anything Norlander not can offer. That's I true. I promise you that. That's true. Yeah. 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 So... Great to be with you guys. Thank you, Wes. Thank you so much, Wes. Anytime. That is Wes Durham, ESPN, and the ACC Network. Uh, Wes, one of the founding fathers of college sports now. Not sure if you knew that, Norlander. I was unaware. I didn't realize that. It's a true story. Yeah. You you give me the heads thing. up. Thanks, man. He started the whole thing. So we appreciate Wes for hopping on with us and talking some ball. I'm for that, by the way. I, I, I did see that Big Ten news. That didn't make the rundown. But uh, because you bring it up, like, I already know the SEC is going to have every team in the tournament, but they're only going to 16 teams. I can uh, get that. Yeah, that's fine. If you're going to have a 16-team league, Big 12 is going to be a 16-team league. Um, you just don't have any teams that get buys because of it. Or I guess uh, – I wonder if actually – if you, can you have a six? I guess you can. You actually could technically format it uh, with a 16-team league and do buys. But um, – 
Yeah, man. Not everyone needs an orange slice. Like at a certain point, uh, even to be honest, even like a 15 team tournament is absurd to me. Like just get your top 12 in, have them be, you know, good teams across the board. And, and, and with that, uh, give more or give more urgency. But but so it goes. Uh, I would think we'll have an answer yet from the ACC on that uh, pretty soon, actually. I might need to make a call. But yeah, there we go. Make a call. Love to see it. Uh, all right. Anything before we get uh, get into weekend preview? No, we're mode. into the weekend right now. Okay. okay. Right. Let's now. do it. Um, I'm looking at the slate for Thursday night. It's pretty meh. Wisconsin at Nebraska. Badgers. Actually, they got to avoid the look ahead game. Exactly. So are we going to have another top ten team take a loss before going into the weekend? Nebraska's yet to lose at home in league play this season. It's been absurdly good in its building. Has not won out of its building in Big Ten. Five and zero at home. Zero five on the road. That's an eight thirty Eastern Big Ten Network tip. I'll be uh, I'll be checking into that. By the way, finished Fargo season five. Excellent stuff. I was I remember I mentioned on the show. There's five seasons of that show. There's five seasons, and it's the second best season of the five. Season one's probably the best. I'd go season one, season five, season two, season three, season four. That's my order. Um, point is, if I wasn't uh, wrapped up with Fargo, I'd watch this. But I think we've now hit February. I think I'm. Uh, I might be able to squeeze in a little bit of uh, watching. Like, I got to watch season two of The Mandalorian. Haven't started it. That might be my, like, can I get through 10 episodes of The Mandalorian over the course of February? That's a maybe. But anyway, I'm digressing. Wisconsin at Nebraska is Thursday night. If that's a blowout, I might fire up Mando season two. We'll see on that. Friday, what do we got, Hartzell? Well, I mean, nobody loves to bang the Big East drum like you do. Uh, Butler at Creighton. That's we can a pass. 9 o'clock tip on FS1. We can We can pass. Pass. You, that's that's one where you don't need to be there for the tip. You check the halftime score. If it's close, all right, I'll check in. But I would expect Creighton to win that game by 10 points. Okay. You have Bonnie's at Flyers. A little yeah. uh, ESPN2 action on seven, uh, at 7 Eastern Friday night. Big time game here. I actually tried to or I tried about a month ago to see if I could pull this off to actually be at this game and go to it because uh, – there's uh there's something to be said and a lot to be written about Dayton the season, but uh, schedule didn't work out, so I am obviously here in Connecticut, uh, and I will be on Friday. I will be at Princeton at Yale. Why? Come on, man. That's stop. Because of the because of Princeton. Because both teams, man. We're talking about you know Cornell's also really good, but Cornell, Yale, Princeton, three really good Ivy teams, all top 100 teams in Ken Palm. Yale, 13 and six. Princeton 15 and two lost at Cornell last weekend. Yeah, it's a Friday night action, seven o'clock tip. I haven't covered a Yale game in person, and it's definitely pre-pandemic. I think I was last at Yale uh, six years ago. I'll say 2018 was the last time I went to Yale. So uh, it's two genuinely good Ivy League teams, and Princeton has. Oh, by the way, Princeton has an NBA prospect, Xavier Lee. Um, get to know him now. He's he's been there for a minute. He's a sophomore. NBA, so I'm going NBA draft two day event now. Yeah, we listen. I did save that one for later in the season. Fine. I don't Why? totally object. Who's going to watch away. the NBA draft second round That's on a standalone I, night? <laughs> like, exactly. You've got to be sick to watch. That. And there will be some sick people, but it's not the NFL draft. Whatever. Um. So, yeah, I'm going to cover Princeton Yale Friday night. And guess what? Wife's bringing the kids. My boys are also going to go check out a game. We're going to we're going to go. Uh, we're going to head down there and uh, and enjoy take a game in uh, at Lee Amphitheater. So, yeah, I will be there. So I will be missing Bonnie's at Flyers. But that's a good A-10 matchup. Dayton is an at, has an at-large resume at this point. And this is a, this is a worthwhile game. The Flyers. 
just coming off a loss recently last weekend at Richmond, but 17 and three overall and seven and one in the A10. St. Bonaventure is 13 and seven, not that great four and four in the league, but they're they're still good enough. Like it is an intriguing game. I expect Dayton to win, but that's your uh, that's your what to know for Friday. And now we get to Saturday because here's the reality of this. In mid-December, there was a weekend in which we had like eight games on a Saturday between ranked teams or seven games between ranked teams. It was awesome. And I thought that was going to be the best weekend of the regular season. This is better because for the first time ever in the regular season, we have four matchups between top 10 opponents. Has never happened in the regular season before. And even in addition to that, we kick off the day at the Garden where I will be. So your boy's going to wake up early. I'm going to go to Princeton, Yale Friday night, get home, wake up early, take the train into the city, cover number one UConn at St. John's, Hurley versus Patino. They've been swapping verbal barbs here and there for six weeks. St. John's couldn't get it done on Wednesday. Lost at Xavier. Another team that lost going into a big weekend with a big matchup. St. John's is a bubble team. Lost at UConn two days before Christmas. Huge opportunity here. I'll be in the building for that. That kicks off your day. The top-ranked team in the country. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a really fun, intriguing matchup there. UConn had some struggles with with Providence. We'll see if it can handle the quick turnaround at St. John's. That's what's going to get the day going. What else we got, Hartzell? Well, that's the nooner on Big Fox. Is that is that Gus? Is that the Gus Johnson game? UConn. I gotta St. believe. I, I don't. I don't know for sure, but I have to believe that it is. Okay. Uh, three thirty. Fox has Fox has a doubleheader on Saturday. Three thirty. Utah State at San Diego State. Shout out to the Mountain West. That's a great Mountain West. T- I don't know why we don't have that at CBS. Um, I, I mean, I know why they have a preseason offseason draft where they pick these games, and that was a lock FS1 game six weeks ago. But now look at Utah State, one of the best records in the country at San Diego State. That's a no brainer to to uh, upgrade that to Big Fox there, which means. Let me look at this real quick. We're getting CBS has Pebble Beach all weekend, buddy. They, that's, I, why. that's also that's uh, we're really getting into the weeds, but th- that's also why we've got the Pebble Beach Pro Am. Um, Nance will be doing that before heading over to Vegas. Uh, home game for Nance. Home, home game. game indeed. Um, but because of that, uh, that's why they have that game. And then what is Fox Sports one in that window? I'm looking right now. I gotta know because um, there's no way they had. This Mountain West game is a big Fox game, like back in early December. Yeah. Uh, they they definitely moved the tip of Marquette Georgetown. So now it's a two Eastern tip on Fox Sports 1. That was going to be the big Fox game, I guarantee you, six weeks ago. So womp, anyway, womp. yeah, little behind yeah, the scenes Fox action like, there. And, and the Mountain West deserves Georgetown. it. That just, But it speaks to the Mountain West, okay? You have a Mountain West game that gets upgraded over a Big East game because those programs in that league is that good, and Georgetown is that down this season. So there we go. Uh, four o'clock on ESPN. This is what's called must-see television. Okay, number four Houston at number eight Kansas. Uh, we we had Kellen Sampson on Monday's show. Uh, Houston in overtime wins at Texas. They now they're done. trying to do it at KU. Let's Listen, go. You're just not getting a lot of shows out there that are getting you a prominent coach of a top-ranked team going on to talk about the game day of the game, and then they win it. It's good karma for the Cougs there. Now they got to go into Kansas. We don't have a line on this. I was on Kansas radio Wednesday night. I was actually <laughs> I did my hit just as Walter Clayton Jr. hit the three to send it to OT in Lexington. So I was like answering a question, then I <laughs> reacting in real time to what I was watching there. Um, but as we, I did that radio interview, uh, I guessed the line. We don't have a line yet. 
Houston, I think, is going to be favored on the road at Fog Allen, which is a rare situation. But the bonkers thing here, Hartzell, is that, and I don't have the exact stat for you. This came out earlier this year because Kansas was a dog at home to someone. It was a dog to UConn, maybe. I can't remember. Kansas under Bill Self. It's something like this. It's in this general vicinity. Kansas under Bill Self has been a top 10 team, or maybe it hasn't even, maybe the qualifier is not even that. Kansas has been an underdog in its home building like 13 times under Bill Self. It has never lost while being an underdog at Fog Allen Fieldhouse under Bill Self. Never happened. And they're probably going to be, I'm going to guess it's Houston minus one when that line comes out. Uh, Ken Palm has it. Let me tell you right now, bud. Ken Palm has Houston by five. I still think the public, they will lean on the public thinking Kansas home game. Maybe it'll be Houston minus two. Um, just an excellent, tremendous game. Houston is a defensive menace. Kansas doesn't have a bench. Bill Self and Kelvin Sampson are two of the unquestioned top five coaches, tacticians in the entire game. It's just a phenomenal Saturday. I, 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 I woke up jacked on a Thursday. Can't wait to get to Saturday, man. This is an incredible, incredible slate. I will be, let's see, UConn Johnny's. Don't even tell me that's a noon, that's a noon publicized, but 12.15 in real time tip. I better not be getting that nonsense, but I get, I get the feeling that might be the case. Uh, and why that matters is, you know, I got to do pressers after, and then I got to get on the train because I'm going to be in studio for CBS Sports HQ all Saturday late afternoon, then deep, deep into the evening. So I'm hoping, I'll almost certainly, yeah, this is a four Eastern tip. I'll be back at the studio in time to catch the end of this, but uh, but your boy, yeah, I'll watch the first half of this on the train going back to Connecticut. I got bad news for you, man. I, I, I can confirm this as we get closer to, to Saturday, but, you know, the Fox big noon kickoff for football, those things were kicking at 12, 10, 12, 11 all year. Yeah, it's football, though. It's different. Like, I, I can live with the 12. It's just a matter of me as like, listen, huge day. I'm going. I hope I get a great game. Get what I need to get from an interview perspective afterward. A little catch-up time with uh, with coaches, talk to a player or two. But then I got to hustle back to Connecticut to get to the studio. And I just don't, I, I don't need a 12, 16 tip, you know? 10 minutes doesn't matter. So I hope that's not the case. This is a total me problem. I need to stop bitching. No one cares. Houston, Kansas, 4 o'clock on ESPN. And then I, I, I think that, that really takes you know center stage you know, for, for that two-hour window. Because the agree. rest of the games of interest uh, all tip at 6 o'clock or later. Uh, 6 o'clock Eastern window is very busy. Obviously, you have Duke, North Carolina. That's scheduled to tip at 6. Call it 6.15. Uh, on ESPN, 6.10. I'll call it. They will, they will, they will definitely... Push that to 615 if need be. This is top 10 Duke Carolina. Um, They're not going to start this until Houston, Kansas ends. Barring that game going to overtime, at a certain point, they got to tip it because the, the thing is, they've got <laughs> it's the ESPN has a loaded schedule here. And so that's also a factor. Um, I, shared, uh, I shared this stat earlier in the week on Twitter. This is outrageous. Uh, Duke and North Carolina are meeting as top 10 teams for the 49th time. 49 times. Brian Ives, who does a great job with all things Carolina stats, he was the first one to kind of majorly publicize this. But then I went uh, I went to our CBS Sports Research team. I said, hey, can, can I get the top five or 10, like most common top 10 matchups ever? And Duke UNC meeting for the 49th time. Number two on the list is North Carolina NC State, kind of a surprise, 14 times, 35 times fewer. And then it's Kentucky Duke, UNC Kentucky, and then UNC Maryland all have met 13 times apiece as top 10 teams, which means that either Duke 
or Car- Duke or Carolina is in the matchup for the five most frequent top 10 uh, head-to-heads in the history of men's college basketball. It's fascinating. Carolina Duke are also 24 and 24 in all-time top 10 matchups. This rivalry, it's the best in sports because of stats like that. I said it. Not college sports, not college basketball. It's the best in American sports. How about that? I can't speak to the the ferociousness of uh, of the EPL and all that good stuff. But Duke Carolina, man, I think I've heard Jay Billis say it a thousand times. It always delivers, and it certainly almost always does deliver. That's a six o'clock tip. Um, highly anticipated. <sighs> Baycott's got to show up big for this one. Uh, R.J. Davis has been in a top three player in America this season. Baycott can't be a no show. He's got to show up. He's got to try and keep Filipowski in check. Um, obviously, he's not going to be able to guard him out on the perimeter. We'll see how they scheme and and do all that all that stuff. Um, and then yeah, for Duke, you know, just Jeremy Roach playing into that role of veteran Duke player in a Carolina game, stepping up big. It's an awesome game here, and uh, and if Duke wins, it'll have the temporary lead in the ACC standings because they will be tied in the loss column, but Duke will have the head-to-head for now. As always, of course, those teams play to wrap the regular season. A quick personal lament, and it's fine, but I know Hartzell will appreciate this more than Parrish would. Uh, I actually miss, and I loved when Duke and Carolina, the first meeting was a midweek game on a Wednesday. I, and that was a, a function of Raycom having the television rights locally. So for a long time, until basically like four years ago, Duke and Carolina always had their first matchup. The regular season Wednesday uh, butted up against the Super Bowl. Now it's always this Saturday game. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I kind of loved having the week build around a Duke-Carolina game, and I don't think we're ever going to get that again. Well, I, uh, just to kind of... Uh you know, hammer that point home, Norlander, not until very recently uh, was I ever exposed to the ESPN broadcast of Duke, North Carolina. Okay. It was (laughs) always like Tim Brando on the iron on kind. Yeah. On local cable. It was an HD. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, something that you're having to like adjust the bunny ears for, but yeah, it was still, you know, the, the ESPN, the national broadcast of that game. It, it never reached my TV set as somebody who uh, grew up uh, in ACC country, in the footprint. So, yeah, Duke, North Carolina, 6 o'clock on ESPN. That's obviously on the main screen. Uh, I am intrigued by Auburn Ole Miss for totally. reasons that, I mean, you know, selfishly, like I cover the SEC. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by is Ole Miss capable. Uh, Auburn on the road has been poor in the Auburn SEC. Auburn doesn't have a quad one win. This is a quad one game. Ole Miss has a really good record. Its metrics aren't great. Um, one team is going to only have it reinforced that it's got fraudulent qualities. If there Auburn can't go on the road and win, it's still... It's in February, and it doesn't have a quad one win. And it's a ranked team in a power conference. It's it's almost impossible to do. If it can't win in the micro, it's understandable. It's Beard. It's Ole Miss. They have a good record. In the macro, it's going to be like, what the hell do we actually make of Auburn here that it is going to be into the first week of February and has not beaten a surefire quad one tournament team? Just It's going to be weird. For Ole Miss, if it loses at home to Auburn, uh, Auburn finally gets off the schneid, but it's still going to have this deal where the record is good, but the metrics do not suggest this is a top 50 team in the country. Well said. Uh, you have the Drake at Indiana State listed on here, 6 are o'clock Eastern me? tip on the deuce. Massive Missouri Valley game. Both of these teams are quality, quality teams. 
Um, at worst, what we've got here is one NCAA tournament team and one NIT team, in my opinion. Uh, Drake ranks 54th at Ken Palm. It's 18-4 and four with a 9-2 Valley record. Indiana State is a top 40 team in the country per the metrics. 19-3 and three with a 10-1 and one record. Huge Valley game. The bummer about this genuine bummer. And I know, like, it's when it comes to program, you got to take what you can get. This is You're going to take the game here because of the channel that you can get it on. This is an ESPN2 game at 6 Eastern. You're up against Duke Carolina. Like, if if only this could have been like a two o'clock Eastern game on on the Deuce instead, where you've got a little bit of a window to yourself. This is an excellent, excellent mid-major matchup between two teams capable of beating teams in the tournament. Uh, it's on the rundown here. So much of this is is really mainstream appeal, and I understand Drake, Indiana State's kind of the the uh, the indie rock band outside of that. But even beyond that, for anyone listening, like if you've got buddies, guy pals, gal pals who like. They get into a little bit. This is the weekend to tell them to watch some hoops. This is the mainstream college basketball weekend before March. This is the Saturday you got to be involved in because you've got like known quantities in Hurley against Patino, number one UConn, Duke versus Carolina, Kansas at home against a Houston team that's made a Final Four recently, and then you've got the likes of you know Tennessee at Kentucky. This this is the weekend for the casual college basketball fan to be dialed in on a Saturday. I can't wait for it. Um, that was the 6 o'clock window. I'll kind of I'll take the baton from you here, uh, Hartzell, and keep rolling. Iowa State, number 12 in the country, plays at Baylor. That's 8 o'clock Eastern on ESPN2. You'll get that after. It's not the same channel, but you'll get it after um, Duke Carolina wraps, and then uh, Drake, Indiana State will bleed into that. Um, and then it's going to go up against uh, Tennessee, Kentucky. Th- that's a build 8.30 time. I promise you it will be an 8.45 tip because Duke, Kentucky's, I mean, Duke Carolina's probably going to tip late, and then they're going to hold this. Um, so that will uh, that will hold over. That's number five, Tennessee, at number 10, Kentucky, both coming off of L's. And interesting game uh, because we're going to have a loser come out of that. And if it's Kentucky... I'm going to have to be eating some crow because I was way in on the Wildcats. And not to say that they can't, you know, rebound and, and get it together to be just, you know, like a top 10 quality team. It's different from being a, a you know, a true national title contender. But, um, yeah, they got to take care of business there. And then the last game of the night, and I think I'm I think I'm staying in the HQ studio till till this one's a wrap. Uh, St. Mary's on the road against Gonzaga, 1030 Eastern booked start time on ESPN. Uh, they won't necessarily, I don't think they'll hold this for 15 minutes, but if Tennessee, Kentucky can tell you, we could have a staggering of the trains here at Hartzell. Um, obviously, that's a great West Coast game. Uh, just an incredible weekend. Gonzaga is in desperate need of a quality win here. It's 16-5, and five, but you look up and down what it's not done. What hasn't it done? It hasn't beaten the tournament team, man. Its best mm-hmm. wins are Syracuse, UCLA, and USC. And, and home against San Francisco. Home against, hey, shouts to Yale, but not a top 70 team. So Gonzaga desperately needs this. St. Mary's, meantime, had a brutal start to its season, but it only has one loss since December 1. Just one for St. Mary's. It's 8-0 in the WCC, and um, the loser of this game, will. Uh, St. Mary's has a borderline tournament profile at this point. It will not have a tournament profile in the moment if it loses. Gonzaga absolutely will not either. Um, to me, this is way more urgent for Gonzaga, uh, personally. So that's a, that's a wrap on Saturday, which is just a phenomenal. Get me there already, Hartzell. Phenomenal day. I like that it's spread out. It's staggered. It's that's not like point. you have yes. all these really good games like noon, yep. two, and four. I mean, you you just rattled it off, man. There's there's intrigue at nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night. 
So hey, for me, for me, are you gonna make it to midnight, St. Mary's Gonzaga? Dude, I, no. Okay. I don't know, man. That, you'll like, make it. Hey, you'll make it to the end of Tennessee, Kentucky. You can do that. Here's the right? good news. Here's the good news. The weather in North Carolina on Saturday is is going to be primo. We have been getting rained on for like two straight weeks. It's going to be dry. Uh, it's going to be like 61 degrees on Saturday. So, like, I will find my way over to the fire pit. Uh, we will throw some logs on the fire, literally, and um, and we'll have a good time. You and the but chickens, right? Yeah, just hanging out with the chickens. The chickens go yeah. into the coop at at dusk. They know that they need to get. You know, they need to get into a safe space. But mm-hmm. here's the thing, man. You, you know, yes. Did my rooster make an appearance on the interview with Wes? Yes, I didn't did. hear it, by the way. When he heard it, I did not hear it. It's very loud where I'm sitting. So I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't hear it. But either way, you're a pro. You're just going to push on through. Um, these chickens give back, man. I mean, we're getting like eight, nine eggs a day. In January, like that doesn't happen. So life is good right now. Hartzell's Hen House is cooking. Uh, all right, one game on Sunday worth watching. Uh, Purdue, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yes, I, Badgers are under the radar, man. Like I'm gonna watch yes. the Nebraska game tonight. I want to see these Badgers on the road because that the place Andrews. is gonna be rocking in Lincoln. But you know, Wisconsin of all the teams we've talked about in the top ten, Norlander. I mean, they're they're probably the least talked about team. I feel like. That's definitely the case there. Wisconsin, though, at this point, has uh, earned its status as a borderline one seed overall. Um, doesn't reflect in advanced metrics at that point. 16-4, and four, again, heading into the Nebraska game. So if you're getting to this on Friday, that result is already uh, back in the house here. But uh, top five offense in the country. Uh, Wisconsin, at this point, its notable wins are a neutral against Virginia. Okay. Uh, metrically, a neutral over SMU actually rates better than Virginia right now. Uh, has a win over Wisconsin, uh, Marquette, which was definitive uh, at Michigan State, uh, down Michigan State, but still they got they got that done. And then they've continued to they swept Michigan State there to coming off the win um, last week over over the Spartans there. Um, but here's the moment for Wisconsin's glow up. Can you go on the road and beat a Nebraska team that is trying to get into the tournament? And is a is a quality opponent, obviously. And then you got home against Purdue Sunday, big CBS. That's a big time uh, moment there. AJ Store is a name to know. He's a transfer from St. John's, and he has uh, he has come in and been an impact player. In addition to the likes of Max uh, Klesmet, who has been had just moments of f- pure firepower for them. Uh, junior guard there, Tyler Wall. He's a known. A known entity for Big Ten fans, but he's still uh, he's still there getting it done. Chucky Hepburn is also um, a critical piece as a junior. So yeah, Wisconsin's flying under the radar, but it will be an unquestioned unquestioned number one seed if it wins at Nebraska and beats Purdue. That's a tall task. I don't know how it's going to split it, but mark me now for a split for Bucky. I think they go one and one in the next two. Okay, very good. Now spinning to close out the show, we will talk some tunes. Uh, the Grammys are on Sunday night live on CBS. Uh, we're going to play a game called Spot the Fake. I have uh, I have come up with one fake artist I for love it. five different genres. Okay, I These love are this actual game. Grammy nominees okay. uh, that are actual like awards, like trophies that are going to be handed out on Sunday night. Okay. So I have come up, like some of these, I, I can't come up with a fake artist for like record of the year. Okay. Like, right. I understand that. I don't, but you're going to be able you, to spot that one. I, I asked you to do this. I sincerely appreciate you putting in the legwork here. My only question is this Did you do what I suggested and, uh, and randomize it so it, you know, it could be anywhere, anytime? Or are you just trying to, because sometimes we, this, uh, this conceit is done on sports shows and, uh, and and the and there's a pattern, so I don't want to I don't want to develop any kind of pattern. That's all there's I'm saying. There's no pattern here. I'm Good. going to read off 
five, well, it's it's six artists for an award. One of the artists does not exist. Okay. okay? You, you want to read them in alphabetical order? Want to do, do that alphabetical order? So I don't Alphabetical any... order. Okay. We will start with the best metal performance Here for we go. new vocal or instrumental solo, duo group, or collaborative metal Let's recordings. Okay. okay. Yes. In alphabetical order, the artists are. You ready? Ready. Disturbed. Ghost. Horse Attack, Metallica, Slipknot, and Spirit Box. One of those artists is All right. a fake. Obviously, some of those are known quantities. Uh, Spirit Box, Ghost, and what's the other non? There were three mainstream acts in there. What's the other one? Ghost? Metallica. Spirit. No, no, no. There was Ghost, there was Spirit Box, and there's another one that's not a known name. What's the other one? What was it? Horse Attack. Horse Attack. Ghost, Horse Attack, or Spirit Box? I'm going to say Spirit Box, that's a great, if that is the fake one, that's a good job by you because I'm going to say that's that's an actual name. So Ghost, or I'll say, I'm going to say Ghost feels like it is good enough to be in that, but it's not actually a group. I will say Ghost. Ghost, Phantom of the Opera is in fact a nominee for Best Metal Performance. Horse Attack is a made-up band. Oh, it was so, well played by you. Oh, so 0-1 for me, okay. Okay, now it is time for the best jazz performance for new vocal or instrumental solo, duo group, or collaborative jazz recordings. Again, this is a real award that will be given on Sunday. All right. In alphabetical order, the nominees are Jackson Bone, John Batiste, Lakeisha Benjamin, Adam Blackstone, Fred Hirsch, or Samara Joy. Samara Joy. I don't know why that was a soft J. (laughs) I'm going Blackstone. Uh, no, Adam Blackstone is a real uh, performer. Jackson Bone is a made-up jazz performer. You have got me 0-2. Right okay. This is fun to play along at home. I'm sure everyone's enjoying it. Next up, what do we got? Best country album for albums containing greater than 75% playing time of new country recordings. The nominees are okay. Kelsey Ballerini, Backwoods, Brothers Osborne, Zach Bryan, Tyler Childers, or Lainey Wilson? This one is the easiest one. This one I got. I know I got this, and I'm not even a country guy. There's no way Backwoods is the is Backwoods is, real. is a fake band. Yeah, yeah that, you band, know what? You could have done better. You could have done better. Okay. Could have done, <laughs> done better. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's see how you hold up in the bluegrass category. Yeah, shall Backwoods we? maybe should have been in bluegrass, and you might have got me, but not for country. Best let's go. bluegrass album. The nominees are. In alphabetical order, Sam Bush, Michael Cleveland, Mighty Poplar, Rocky Creek Boys, Willie Nelson, and Billy Strings. Uh, Billy Strings, very, very, very real. Very, very, very talented. (laughs) All right. Read the first four again, please. Sam Bush, Michael Cleveland, Mighty Poplar, Rocky Creek Boys. (laughs) All right. Rocky Creek Boys is making me chuckle, but I'm going to say that's real. I'm going to say that Cleveland dude's fake. Michael Cleveland, Lovin' of the Game, is in fact a real nominee for Best Bluegrass Album. Rocky Creek Boys is totally made up. Oh, man. Last but not least, the Best Traditional Blues Album for albums containing greater than 75% playing time of new vocal or instrumental traditional blues recordings. Okay. In alphabetical order, the nominees are Eric Bibb, 
Mr. Sip, <laughs> Tracy Nelson, Tommy Skin, John Primer, or Bobby Rush? Best Did you throw in a Mr. Sip? Album. Is that what I heard, Mr. Sip? Yep. Eric Bibb, Mr. Sip, Tracy Nelson, right, It's Mr. Tommy Sip. Skin. Mr. Sip's not real. Mr. Sip, the soul side of Sip, Get is in fact here. a nominee for the best traditional blues album. Tommy Skin is a made-up name. I love it. It doesn't exist. Uh, listen, I love the fact that I flamed out terribly because uh, one of five, dude. One of five. Now, I'm, what I'm bringing up right now um, is best new artist nominees. All right, here are our best new artist nominees for 2023. Coco Jones. Oh, these are all real. I don't have a fake name for Hartzell. Coco Jones. Don't know. Never the War and Treaty. No idea. Noah Cahan. I do know. He's a serious XM Channel 28 Spectrum regular. Fred again. Gracie Abrams. Nope. Victoria Monet. Have heard of Victoria Monet. Ice Spice. I have heard of Ice Spice. And then Jelly Roll. I've heard of Jelly Roll. Mark me down for Jelly Roll. Yeah. To win Best New Artist. I got invited uh, to a Jelly Roll concert in March. True story. Uh, I'll be passing on that. But um, <laughs> he's a big hit here in the Carolinas is, if uh, you is want Mr. Jelly Roll. A real quick, uh, you know, we're going to save it for now spinning on Monday. Grammy recap. We'll see who wins Best New Artist. And then we're going to go through some of the uh, the recent Best New Artists and see how that worked out for him. Watch the Grammys on Sunday. I sound, CBS. I, I, I sound like I'm promoting, you know, you your should. network here. But I mean, let's be honest. It's Sunday night. What the hell else are you going to watch? Sunday, yeah. Sure. And we'll wrap on this. Hartzell, uh, Purdue at Wisconsin is the only mainstream game. Weirdly, super light college hoops late on Sunday. There's no football. No one cares about the Pro Bowl games or whatever the hell's going down in Orlando. They're on. A, they're not even doing it at the at the Super Bowl site. Um, and yes, CBS has Pebble Beach Pro Am, but like, just straight up bizarre. How there's like 20 D1 games period on Sunday. Very weird. But in exchange, we get a huge Saturday. I was I was just surprised to see that we didn't have a little more. There's you know, there's a couple other power conference teams playing, but there's only one game truly worth dialing for, and that's pretty what Wisconsin. Shout out to Tommy Skin and the Rocky Creek Boys. Rocky and, Creek Boys. That was well done by you. Well done. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm proud of it. I mean, the, the amount of prep that went into today's show. Uh, leave a review. Uh, tell a friend. We, we enjoy what we're doing here. And if you guys uh, give us some, some sweet ratings, then we can keep doing it. Norlander, enjoy the weekend, buddy, and we'll talk to you on Monday. I'll talk to you Monday, buddy. There you go. Enjoy the games, everybody. See ya.